the fragrance of flowers spreads only in the direction of the wind but the goodness of a person spreads in all directions very insightful quote by chanakya who lived around 300 bc he was a teacher philosopher economist a royal advisor and a master strategist he served as the prime minister to chandragupta maurya and bindusara king ashoka's grandfather and father respectively he gave two great books namely the arthashastra and the neeti shastra to the world hello my name is malati and this is my show titled the impressive empress here i talk to women leaders women who have had a humble beginning and have forged their way to leadership a position to which they have been elevated thanks to their selfless efforts at making a positive difference to the world in our daily lives we perceive many kind of fragrances and it is believed that the sense of smell plays a very important role in the physiological effects of mood stress and our working capacities as humans we are all gifted with a certain value set understanding what these values are and understanding oneself propels a person to leadership and to lead with impact with a clear idea of the what how and why we can provide support guidance and direction that many others need to reach their full potential our today's guest ms neeraja ganesh comes with 25 plus years of experience in the it industry for the last few years she has been working as a freelance consultant who conducts various training programs and workshops on leadership and behaviors she decided to switch her career to work in the space of gender diversity after having mentored women from diverse experiences age groups industries and domains to help them grow in their careers she believes that much needs to be done to show the path to women in india who have the innate talent but lack the knowledge of where to find help in terms of mentoring coaching networking and more importantly understanding that these are important elements in one's professional growth listen on as we discuss about neeraja's beliefs and values that make her the impressive empress good afternoon uh, neeraja Malia. good afternoon yes. welcome to our show and i really would like to thank you from the uh, bottom of my heart for taking this time out and really Uh, appreciating what i'm trying to do through our show called the impressive empress where we are talking to women leaders from various walks of life trying to understand how they have grown how they have grown uh, in the sense their inner journey to to making this uh, world a more beautiful place so welcome to our show neerija my uh, it's it's really an honor to be you know on this show i have gone through the previous episodes and you know i'm so glad that you felt i was worthy of being one of the guests at this show it's it's really thank you yeah i mean i i went through your profile and uh, really very commendable and i think you are doing a wonderful uh, work of uh, sharing your experience with the uh, upcoming girls and uh, also other professionals so it's a commendable yeah. work yeah yeah the impressive empress is all about uh, women who are uh, Uh, not necessarily in the c suite or ne- not necessarily at the helm of things but uh, there are so many women among us 
who are doing uh, amazing things to impact the society in a very positive way. The impressive in Empress means that they are able to leave an impression in the minds of people. So, okay, right. so I think you're doing a, a great job there and uh, it's wonderful to have you here. Can you, Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Can you briefly introduce yourself, uh, Neruja? Sure. So I'll do a quick professional intro and then go on to, you know, uh, because we are also used to, you know, introducing the professional part first. Um, so I currently uh, work at an educational institution. It's called National Education Society of Karnataka in Bangalore. Uh, it has about 17 uh, educational institutions under it. My role is basically to build the industry so that we can actually ensure that our curriculum, especially at the undergraduate and postgraduate uh, levels, is um, is the right one uh, to make the students workforce ready. Otherwise, you know, we have ancient curriculum which has not changed over the years. So that's one large part of my role. And the other one, of course, is the online now education that we need to focus on in the coming days. Uh, beyond which, I also do a lot of freelancing and do a lot of uh, workshops. And uh, don't miss any opportunity to give these kinds of talks because, as you rightly said, uh, when it comes from our experiences, it really makes an impression because then the audience feels that if she would do it, then I could do it. Because we're not very different, you know, anybody. We all have gone through the same kind of, uh, you know, life, have had similar challenges. And it's all about um, we were able to overcome or we were able to live along with challenges, whichever way it is. And we've, we've reached where we have. Uh, and that makes a lot of difference in the minds of people. That's, that's what caught my attention when I first started on this journey of mentoring, uh, especially women, uh, via a portal called as Jobs for Her, which is which has started to help women on a career break and start their careers. All I was doing was, you know, having calls with uh, some women who had a particular question and I used to narrate my experience around it. It didn't take more than five minutes, you know, max. But it left such an impression. And they said I was able to go ahead and, you know, do something after that. It took some actions after that. And they would call me back and say, you know what, it has just transformed my life. And I said, if just five minutes of experience sharing can make such a difference to somebody, then why not do more of it? And hence, I do not miss out any opportunity, you know, because every platform has different audiences. And I'm sure that you have a different, you know, following for your platform. And I'll only be glad to kind of share my experiences. It really doesn't cost anything to me. Uh, but if it can change, you know, people's lives, uh, then why not? Uh, coming to my personal side, uh, because I'm married, um, and as we were speaking, I uh, live with my mother-in-law and mother in the same, you know, building. Um, I have one daughter. Uh, she's just finished her 12th standard and going to start her graduation uh, uh, soon, hopefully whenever the college decides to start online classes. I think that's the way uh, to go this year. Uh, which is not the best, I think, the students looking forward to the college atmosphere. <laughs> but yeah, you know, this is the way. Uh, as a person, um, I think one of the things that I would definitely like to share is that uh, I just believe in myself and I go about doing what I strongly believe in. doesn't matter if the rest of the world thinks differently or is doing very different things. That strong belief uh, which I have in anything uh, and, and that kind of helps in the decision making also, even if um, there are 10 things to choose from or two things to choose from. My belief, and if, if that is, uh, even if that is different to what the rest of the world tells me, I will do it. 
I will choose that path. And that's what I have done throughout my life from my student days till today. And I believe that uh, if, if people say you've been successful, if people say you're happy, um, it's, it's attributed to that. A very strong belief. Uh, and I will do an info as well. So that's that's what I would like to share in terms of my personal information. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Very well said. I mean, uh, I have heard this from a couple of other women also to whom I have spoken in the past that their words have carried a lot of value for, I mean, with whoever they have spoken. So words do matter. Yeah. And, uh, and for a person who's actually looking for advice, who's actually seeking something positive out of life, I think uh, this is the best that we can do is to exactly. provide our words as, uh, as the stepping stone. You know, a lot of times career becomes stepping stones, but words can also make a lot of difference. Very nice, uh, Neeraj. I also like the point about uh, believing in yourself that you said. Now, believing in oneself, you know, this is, this is a big thing for women, actually. So they, we always have this self-doubt, you know, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? How did you acquire this skill? A very worthy skill, actually. <laughs> So I think, um, yeah, let me uh, retrace many, many years ago. Um, I think in the growing up years, we kind of are led by what our parents you know, tell us. I'm an only child, so it's only my parents. And we kind of always lived, uh, we lived in Indore and then we came to Bangalore. So we didn't have any extended family around us. So you'll be guided by what your parents tell you. So I think I went to school, they would have chosen the school. Uh, when I went to college, it was a pre-university, uh, what we call PUC here. I did what the rest of the world was doing. Uh, so, and, and things have not changed from then to today in terms of the way students do subjects, right? It's usually science, and then you either do an engineering or a medicine. Um, that's, that's, that's the biggest you know, thing. And then you think of the other career option. My entire you know, classmates uh, were kind of looking at science as an option, uh, barring a couple of them who didn't really you know, do well in science, so they kind of decided that they humanities, science, PCMB, physics, chemistry, maths, biology, and then go and write the entrance for both engineering and medicine, which is what is very funny, right? At least you make up your mind, because they are such different streams. Because everybody was doing that, I also did that. I went and, you know, chose these subjects. And in those two years, I think those are the worst years of my life, because I am not tuned to physics. I'm not tuned to chemistry. I'm not tuned to biology. The only thing that I could do well was maths. And I'm great at maths. Uh, but then these three subjects pulled me down. Uh, I spent my days and nights, you know, studying and studying and studying. But at the end of the day, when the results came, pathetic scores, really pathetic scores, except for math, which was good. Uh, physics was, an, I could say that today, this was 50 out of 100. And uh, I really cried the day the results came. And I think then I made up my mind that I'm not going to do what the rest of the world is I will do what I'm good at. I will do what I'm passionate about. I will do what will give me happiness. So while, uh, of course, I had written the entrance and I got a seat also in engineering in some remote part in Karnataka. And I, will, I should thank my father who said, see, if you get a seat in Bangalore, you can go. Otherwise, we are not sending you anywhere. You know, coming from that conservative family. So I'm glad that he said that because then I couldn't go to engineering. Uh, my mother said, hey, go and do a BSc in the next door college. But again, it was a BSc combination that was available then was physics, chemistry, maths. 
or CBZ, chemistry, botany, zoology. And I said, I can't do this again. Another three years of these subjects I'm not going to do. So I went around looking and in those days there was no internet, right? So you had to actually catch the bus and go to the college, get the prospectus to understand what courses are there. And I found this course in a college uh, not too far away from home, which was maths, economics and statistics. While I know what math is and we know statistics is something like math, I thought economics is something like math and I'll do that because it is, you know, math based and I'm good at this and I will like it. I think that was my first decision when I did something which was so very different from the rest of the crowd. Because people said, you've got an engineering seat, you can always apply for a transfer and get, get to Bangalore. You know, why are you doing something as foolish as BSc? But I said, no, this is what I'm going to do. And I enjoyed the three years of my college. I topped every year and I was looked up at, you know, and people used to come to me and say, okay, fine, can you teach me math and all of that. And uh, since then, there's no looking back. I, I, similarly, every decision in my life has been based on what I believe in. I think that's... that's and it has always been a very different position to what the rest of the world does. Uh, but it has taken me places and it has given me joy, satisfaction, and enjoyment, and whatever one might want to call it. And mm. hence, I say I believe in this. Wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad that it has worked uh, very well for you because there have been many cases where uh, they went by or, went, or they went against uh, what is popular in the world but uh, ended up rather poorly. I'm so glad right. it has worked out for you so well. And it has also helped on to build up the confidence that you have in your decisions. Because uh, Absolutely. As, a leader, as a leader, decision making is one of the challenging tasks even for Correct. someone at the top. So once, right. you, once you believe in yourself, then decision making comes uh, automatically. Right. Now, um, you had kind of quit your corporate career of 25 long years and uh, at a position where anybody would uh, envy you but you quit that and you took up first volunteering and then consulting and I think now you have a mix of uh, these two. Was it difficult to quit? Uh, it was not very difficult to quit for two reasons. One, um, I, I, I didn't intentionally quit you know, so I don't want to tell people that hey I you know, in the one of the corporate life, and so I said that it was not that way. There were circumstances at home which kind of made me take a decision that uh, I need to focus on more. Uh, so I've had a 25 year long corporate career thanks to my family who supported me throughout. So, you know, I've lived with my in laws, my husband works from home, daughter, I have made her very responsible. So she also took care of many things herself. I didn't have to be like the pampering mother beside her. My parents lived in the same city. So, you know, there was ample help available throughout uh, to take care of the personal side of things and I could focus on my professional career. And in 2017, starting May, is when things started crumbling down. You know, like started with, you know, my mother having turned to go to surgery and he recovered and then husband fell ill and it was a series of instances. So I first went on six weeks of leave and I told uh, my company that I'm not going to take on a role which has a lot of travel because I was doing a lot of travel there. Of course, it's within India, but I was doing a lot of travel. Um, and uh, six weeks I took off uh, and while we were looking for a project, we didn't have travel. But after six weeks, my mother recovered and came uh, to her house. But I had to kind of extend my leave for my husband and then my father-in-law. Then my father-in-law passed Then the rituals for the 13 days. So that became three months of leave. Um, but what I did in those three months was something was telling me that if I don't get uh, a role with no travel, I was very clear. Like 
I said, right? I was very clear, I will not take that. I will not go back to work. Because um, in my priority list at this point in time, I need to be at home and not be doing these kinds of travels. Uh, so that helped me. Again, priorities, right? If your decision making is based on priorities, this is what I tell people. It's not, it's, people say, of course, we know our list of priorities, but I don't think people know their list of priorities. When I say, tell me one thing which is a priority, when they say, no, actually there are two. And I say, you can never have two things at one priority number. You can have only one. Uh, so tell me what that one is. Uh, so if you're very clear about what your first uh, top three or five priorities are, it eases your decision making. For me, I was very, very clear that I had to be around that whole spot. And I didn't want to, you know, be going around like this, uh, you know, traveling the way I was doing, uh, which meant that if I don't get a role like that, I mean, that decision was very clear in my head. The second thing which also helped that was I was already, uh, as I said, a mentor at Tops for her, uh, the uh, organization uh, which uh, was set up to help women on a career break, restart their careers. So when you are talking to those girls, and they were much younger than me, they had taken breaks much early on in their careers, you know, either because uh, they had to shift their cities and countries uh, when they got married or when they had a kid to look after the baby and things like that. So I felt, let me practice some of what I'm preaching. You know, I've had, uh, uh, um, I must say, I'm quite, uh, had the good fortune that I could work nonstop for 25 years because of the support that I had. Uh, so uh, if I have to take a break now, while the rest of the world had taken it much earlier, let me take it. And I'm telling them how to restart, which means that I should be able to put the same things in my, you know, search process, if at all, you know, I had to find a job later. So it should work for me. Uh, the other thing which also happened was because of the fact that I was volunteering a lot and I was well networked and I was meeting a lot of people, I realized there are plenty of ways to keep yourself productively utilized. So that's one big thing that will come your way when you suddenly leave a job with nothing else, right? Uh, money is one part of it, but if you keep money aside, how do I uh, use my time? I had realized there was plenty. Uh, you could, you know, really go and uh, help out in many, many, many ways. I knew that will not worry me. I can keep myself productively utilized. So actually those three months when I had taken leave, despite the fact that I was caring for the family, I used to step out every day for two hours. I said that, you know, I cannot just you know, bring everything to a halt. Uh, two hours, I would ensure that people at home are taken care in some manner. And I would go out and I would volunteer their jobs for her. There was another startup that I was volunteering and all of that. So I knew there was plenty that can be done. And the money part of it, we'll figure it out later. So all of this gave me strength in terms of taking that decision. And uh, I have never regretted it. Wonderful. Wonderful. I think uh, the people around, because of the the... I mean, it's it's uh, very sad that you had to lose your father-in-law, and uh, but there's always a learning uh, that comes when we have tough times in our lives, and uh, you have kind of people around you have benefited more from from this break that you took, and uh, it has also provided you a different kind of anchor in life. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the other thing I say. You know, the, the minute things don't work out the way you have planned it for or thought it would even if your decision you know making was based on your priorities sometimes you say okay fine this is my priority one and hence i'm going to take this decision and it didn't go the way you wanted i always tell the people that don't regret that decision because when you took that decision it was right 
you took it based on your current priority and the circumstances around you and in some months or years whenever you know it's not been working out or shaped in the way that you thought it would take another decision don't regret what you did last time uh, because that kind of you know uh, regresses uh, you kind of say that that's a learning and from that learning you'll only get more opportunities because what has happened to me but the only thing is act you know many people don't act they will sit and they will you know brood over it they will you know wait for the best time when you know you can take the next leap that best time will never come and i say the time is now so that is one thing that i've always done always ensured that i kept acting like i said for the three months i didn't anticipate three months of leave i took six weeks of leave but even in those six weeks i decided i will go out and do something if not if i think of it if i had said okay for six weeks let me enjoy you know let me take a real pause the six weeks became three months then i would have continued in that pause mode for three months and then after three months it would have become much harder for me to say okay should i now step out and volunteer you know, people at home could also ask right now with such a big you know the thing that has happened at home uh, you want to go away you want to go out to volunteer you know so those kind of things could come uh, so act even if it is a small thing that you're doing ensure you keep doing it and it will you know show you the way yeah wonderful tip amazing tip that is now when you have to do all the different roles that you're doing currently what are the skill sets that you bring to each one of these roles what are the common skills and what are the differences that you have to do Uh, you say roles as in 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 the place that i work at mm-hmm. home uh in the places that you work in i mean you volunteer at a couple of organizations right. you work as a consultant for a couple of organizations right so each one of these requires a different kind of hat to be worn yes so very true how do you change your hats and what is common between these hats and what oh, are the different okay. yeah um so and at the college my role demands that i build the industry academy and connect and i'm good at that that's why they kind of put me in that role because of the uh, long corporate history that i have had and the large network that i have so one of the things is i'm very good at building relationships um so when people say networks you know people misunderstand it as okay fine you connect with someone and then you go and ask that person for a favor or that's the reason why you're connecting that uh, you know tomorrow if i have a need then you know i can actually go and ask that person for something but that's not the definition of networking a uh, networking is what you can give to the other person that's how i you know always build connections and then nurture those you know relationships like the two of us connected uh, there is no uh, you know selfish motive behind it um, both of us are engaging in this conversation to give it to somebody else right both of us are not going to get anything out of it other than the fact that okay fine there's a video and you know some social media presence and branding will happen i'm not denying that but the uh, ultimate reason for this conversation and the series that we have launched is that the rest of the world has to benefit so when you build relationships for that purpose they are long lasting and uh, they will in some ways give you back so i'm very good at that right relationship building uh, so uh, and and in professional terms you call it stakeholder management at the end of the day it is building relationships you know that's that's what stakeholder management is and in my current role that is required i'm extremely good at that the other thing that is required is change management because this has been an educational institution of 100 plus years the faculty and the management has been there for many many years 
uh, it's also like a not-for-profit institution only. Uh, so it doesn't have any religious political affiliations. So it is very inclusive in terms of the education that is provided. Um, it's completely driven out of the fees that we collect from the students and maybe some alumni donations. Because of 100 years, there's enough alumni and you know, people have really reached um, you know, positions uh, uh, of acclaim and hence there come some alumni donations. That's how it is run. Um, so change management here to say that, hey, I think we need to introduce a new course. Uh, is very difficult. Uh, one, there is an insecurity in people. If a new course comes, am I equipped to deliver those lessons? Uh, will there be a new faculty and hence up may I, I may have to leave? You know, those kinds of thoughts come in. And then I am not from the educational uh, you know, uh, field, right? I'm from an IT, I'm an IT professional. Uh, so I may not know everything about every subject. Uh, and here I'm talking about, I think we have to change our BCom to bring in financial analytics. We have to change our BA to bring in, say, public policy. Now, I'm not the master in any of this. But in my discussions with the industry uh, representatives, I get to know that this is what is needed. But faculty are definitely much more you know, uh, aware of these subjects. So when this person who is not so very well equipped in terms of knowledge of a subject is going and recommending a change in course, that change management becomes difficult. Again, I think going back to the relationship building, it has taken me back to, and, and you know, patience. I'm not the kind of person who says it has to happen my way on day one. Um, I give it time uh, and I will even, you know, go their way for some time. Uh, while I'm doing that, I will slowly introduce a few things my way, small things. Um, and slowly they'll see the results of that and they will kind of, you know, come over and uh, if you more, uh, a relationship of trust is established and then you know I can you know do the things that uh, I wish to do or the management is asked. So these are two traits you know. In terms of the mentoring I do a lot of mentoring. Um, I do it um, for women uh, in jobs who are trying to restart their careers. I mentor at a newly founded uh, platform called as Aspire for her. This is for girls in the age group of 18 to 25. I think the, the strength that I bring is sharing of experiences, as I said, um, very empathetic. I, I kind of try and understand what the other person is going through. Um, and I don't uh, dictate. It, it's, it's like a coach behavior. Mentor, actually, we call it mentoring, but it's, the coach is more powerful when you actually make them reflect. You may give some uh, tips, you may give some experience sharings, not actually tips, some experience sharings and make them reflect and make them decide what actions they are going to do. Uh, and they own those actions and they'll go about and you know, make changes in their life. So I think that coach attitude, being empathetic and uh, empowering them to make those decisions. I think these are some of the traits that help in you know, all the mentoring uh, work that I do. And the third, of course, I do a lot of talks leadership uh, training workshops. Um, I think the trait that I bring in there is the fact that I don't bring academic research <laughs> to my sessions. But it is there. Maybe sometimes you have to give them, okay, this is a nice tool, you can use it. But a lot of that comes from your own experience. Becoming vulnerable. Telling them that I have gone through this and it didn't work for me is okay. Somebody who's reached a particular height doesn't always have to succeed right 
uh, many of your decisions could have gone different. If you didn't get outcomes that you have wanted uh, and you have to go back and draw the circle again and you know start all over again being vulnerable i'm not ashamed to be vulnerable and tell them of my so-called failures which i never consider as failures i consider this as learnings and moving ahead uh, that i think connects with and they say okay fine she's being so open and transparent and let me also be open and transparent and that's when the real issues and challenges come through and then we are able to work through mm. yeah i mean more often than not, as a mentor, uh, the most important skill is probably listening skills. And, uh, and you, you mentioned that you bring a lot of patience along. And, uh, but still, there are times when people don't trust you, or there are times when we need to give them time to, to come to get onboarded on our side. So how do you kind of engage, or when do you know you have to engage, and when do you know you have to disengage so as to bring people along or to help them come to a decision? Um, I think you, one has to give time and of course you can't give them time forever. If, for example, in my role in the educational institution, I can't take all the time you know, to bring about the change. Um, so I gave them the first two or three months where I said, you know, I kind of worked along with them. Uh, and then from, uh, so I had joined last October from January, I slowly started seeing the results and I started seeing people coming to me and, you know, uh, seeking my advice and saying, can we do this and, you know, shall we do this? Uh, so there is a particular time limit that you have to set based on uh, the goal that you're trying to achieve. Um, I will definitely say that, but give it that time, you know, be slow and steady and uh, give it that time to make the change happen. Uh, but sometimes you don't have that time. Sometimes you have to take decisions instantaneously. Uh, the only thing I would say is paint the bigger picture to them at that point in time, uh, which means that uh, you have to make people aware of what's happening in the external world and how the work that we do, the organization that we are working in, contributes to that bigger picture. And hence, we have to take this decision now, whether people are buying into that decision or not. I mean, you have done a couple of conversations to say, uh, you know, I'm very inclusive in my leadership style. I do ask people to contribute to discussions and say, what do you think we should do? I always go that way. It's never been, you know, my way. Uh, so I will listen and uh, we will definitely uh, see if uh, another solution is better or another idea is better. But sometimes if you don't have enough time to explore all ideas and we have to take quick decisions and that decision is very different to what the rest of the team is saying, what I believe in is show the big picture and say how our organization should contribute in that way. And if we don't do it, what will be the impact to both the organization and the individuals and go ahead and take the decision. I think a lot of trust gets built when you are that transparent. Mm. Um, another example I give is when leaders come and uh, they tell the team that, you know what, I tried to uh, put across your points to the management, but the management didn't agree, so we have to just comply. This will never take you anywhere. Uh, you have to speak the language of the leader to say that yeah, I did this and the reason for it is this larger picture. Uh, don't try to put the blame on somebody else or say that it was somebody else's decision. The trust factor will never be built in that. The trust factor is always built when you show the transparency, even if the decision is very different to what the rest of the leader think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are now living in a very... Uh highly uncertain times, you know, uh, 
even last year we were talking about the VUCA situation, you know, the volatile, uncertain, complex, Correct. ambiguous situation. Now we have a couple of Bs added at the front and the end, <laughs> the disruption also. So, I mean, it's like you name it, we have it kind of situation now. How are you motivating your uh, mentees or you're also part of a leadership development uh, uh, organization? How are you motivating your teams or your uh, mentees or your, uh, the, the girls that they aspire for her? Because finding jobs is difficult, leading a team is difficult. Everything has, it's not at the standstill, but still things are not moving the way it has been over the last few years. What That's leadership styles are you using now to keep them motivated? Um, so I think uh, the mantra that I always give in whatever situation was more relevant in today's situation, but in any uh, situation is, what's the worst that can happen, right? If you keep that question in your you know, mind and get an answer to that, and if that answer is something uh, that you feel you can deal with, you can cope with, move ahead. So to students, that's a question I ask, you know, what's the worst that can happen? So you probably are going to, you know, start your course a year later. That's the, probably the worst that is going to happen, right? In your long life, that one year of, you know, delayed, uh, you know, uh, finishing of the school is not going to make any difference. Mm. Um, you may probably start earning one year later, but uh, are your parents pressurizing you that, you know, you needed to bring in the money by 2021 or 2022? Majority of them wouldn't be, right? Um, so what's the worst that can happen the question and the answer to that really helps us to propel ourselves forward. In any situation, that's what I would you know, recommend. Now, of course, if the worst that can happen has an answer which you're not able to cope and deal with, then of course it needs a lot more help, which means that go, go around and seek that help. Don't keep it to yourself. Uh, seek external help in terms of uh, talking to a coach, talking to a friend, talking to um, somebody who can possibly guide you, you know, in, in a particular uh, uh, situation and towards a particular decision. Um, but if most of the times, like I lost a job or, you know, my salary has been cut or I've been asked to take three months of uh, leave without pay, what's the worst? Uh, I'm sure uh, we have some savings with which we can live. And uh, anyways, I think our uh, expenses, because of the lockdown, have come down. So that is a benefit and a bonus. Uh, maybe you have to curtail it a little bit more. But it's not that you're going without food and water, right? You have a shelter and, you know, you can still manage pull along for the six months. That what's the worst that can happen, rather than saying what's in it for me, uh, will help you kind of tide over the situation. The second thing, as I always said, keep doing something. So the minute uh, the uh, lockdown happened, um, I think somebody reached out to me uh, to deliver a webinar and I delivered it. Uh, but because of the kind of brand that has uh, been created uh, for me and the networks that are there and the referrals that came in, I was busy every week delivering a webinar. I actually put a schedule to say I won't do more than one. And now I've said I won't do uh, more than one in two weeks. I used to do one per week. Now I said I should slow it down one in two weeks. Uh, but it just came. Now it was all pro bono. So my point is, what's the worst that can happen? I'm just sitting at home and not having work. At least I'm, you know, sitting and doing some pro bono workshops, which is helping, you know, spread the message. It is helping me create a better brand. And at some point in time, I can use all of this and 
then gain some business and you know the money will come in so uh, even to women who want to restart their careers and they say you know this is where i left the job this is the kind of salary i was drawing i should get the same kind of a salary of course you need to be intentional about your careers and money is something that you should not compromise on that is something i will tell all the girls but you're sitting at home you keep applying for jobs you're not getting the kind of job that you had wanted and you're spending you know another 6 months being on a break instead of that if there is an opportunity that has come your way where you can even volunteer your time go and do that it only helps you build new skills new connections and you can show it as an experience on your cv so those are the two things that you know i tell people but what's the worst that can happen and keep doing something small bits of things that you can do to keep it moving and you will see how it pays back yeah it probably comes back to the uh, point where you said the uh, act you know yes keep, exactly keep, yes. keep moving keep moving very good very good uh, i'm i'm really enjoying this conversation with you and you're giving away so many tips and uh, <laughs> advice thank you thank you so in these i mean in good times it's it's uh, it's always uh, we are all doing very well but during these bad times and the good times how are you nurturing your vulnerability uh can you explain a little bit more what you were meaning by that yeah i mean vulnerability is a is a skill we have now come to accept it as a skill absolutely for for so many people who thought that they were invincible they now mm. have realized that they are also vulnerable so right. i mean we are now kind of many of us are kind of forced to accept that but for you i mean you also mentioned that one has to be vulnerable one has to be build that confidence through patience and uh, uh, whatever other skills you mention but vulnerability as a skill how is it that you are maintaining during the good times and the bad times how do you nurture that within the right um i think acceptance of whatever happens around you is very very critical um i think i have a very high level of acceptance maybe uh, this is because of the way i have grown up i am an only child Uh, I have been an introvert all my life, um, and uh, didn't have too many friends, so I was by myself. Um, and I think whatever I have learned is through observation. So when you are this quiet uh, child with no friends, you just sit in a corner and you observe a lot. And that observation has taught me a lot. And hence, I realize that you don't have to go through the similar experiences yourself to learn. you can actually observe from somebody else's experience and build that particular either resilience or you know whatever else in in you that has helped me build a very high level acceptance to whatever happens in life um life has given me also a lot of you know highs and lows um and uh, what has kept me going through all of that is the fact that i need to accept it don't question why did this happen to and you can never get the answer to that uh, even if you go to the best of the gurus um so accept it it has happened now what what's next let's move on from here so i have a very high level of acceptance so i will tell you the minute the uh, lockdown was announced in india it was in march uh, i think march 23 or something we had this janta curfew and then you know the lockdown happened um i thought that i am going to go into a depression because 
I realized when I joined, I think this job with the college, it's an individual contributor role, right? I have to build the industry academia connects and then, you know, I have to just go and tell the faculty that this is what we are doing, new programs, etc. So I don't have a team. In fact, they built a nice big cabin for me in the college. So I go and sit in the cabin whole day. I eat my lunch alone, you know, there's no, um, I don't meet people that many, that many people. And after two or three weeks, I started feeling very depressed because I'm a person who's always had people around me at any kind of organization that I have worked, whether at the not-for-profit foundation or the big corporate houses. Um, so what I did was every week I would ensure that I'm attending some external you know, event. Either I'm delivering a talk, so then there are people who are listening to me and I can engage with them, or uh, you know, I'm attending some talk or some workshop. So at least I look forward to that. In my calendar, oh, Friday I'm going out and I will be meeting some people and the whole week kind of passes away. So the minute the lockdown happened, I thought I'm going to get depressed because now I can't go out, I can't meet people and I thought I'm going to go into a depression. But I make use of the opportunity which came, which was plenty of webinars started happening. You know, just all over the world you could attend any kind of you know, webinars and a lot of them were freely available. You didn't even have to pay you know, for hearing uh, to those people talk. I registered to webinars left, right, center. And then slowly also, as I said, people started approaching me to tell about that. And I'm part of uh, these large networks. Uh, we started doing, you know, uh, their meetups online on Zoom and other, you know, um, conferencing platforms. Uh, it left me with no time. And I accepted the situation that I can't go out and meet, but this is also good enough. You know, if I'm able to meet someone on screen and have a good conversation, I'm able to learn something. I'm able to deliver some value to somebody. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. So what if, you know, I can't go out? So acceptance is something which I think I have a lot of. Or whatever situation happens, I'm able to accept and see how do you make the best out of it? How do you move forward from that? So, you know, the other thing that I started doing, when you are at home, you say, okay, fine, who's going to see us? We'll be, you know, in our home clothes. Who <laughs> doesn't have to get dressed up the usual way. Uh, I ensured that, you know, I, uh, I still, you know, dress up the way I would if I was going out to deliver a talk or anything like that. So today's conversation, I picked up a nice sari and, you know, I dressed it up. And then half of it at least is normal, right? I can still, you know, do the things that I was doing, except for the fact I can't step out of the game. But everything else is still happening. So that's how I've kind of managed to keep the uh, emotions in check uh, and ensure that, you know, I still am you know, going ahead. Wonderful. So as a woman and as a leader, what has been, what was your mission in life when you started? Then 25 years down the line, when you quit your role, how did that mission or your goal change? What is it now? Right. So I have to say that when I started, um, the mission was very simple. I wanted to earn some money. So uh, I come from a very conservative family um, and there was no question of work or career, job, nothing of that sort. I was very clearly told by my parents that you finish your PSC that I was doing and you'll be gotten married. And then you have, you know, whatever family life that you do. And I was okay with it because that's the way, you know, I was brought up. Okay, fine, that's what life is all about. Uh, but somewhere in me, I said, okay, at least a little bit of money I should earn for myself. I don't know why. <laughs> I was well provided for, but in my head, I think that was the only thing. I should, you know, earn some money for myself. Uh, so I negotiated with my father and said, why are you going around finding this match for me? Because it was an arranged marriage. Um, let me do a little bit more of studies beyond the BSc. Uh, and then um, I, I, I 
did this course from NIIT, which used to be very popular in those days. I did a four semester course and I did two semesters in parallel because I was in this fast track. I would finish and get into a job and earn this little bit of money. Uh, so that was my mission. Uh, but as I, I tell people that I value everything a lot, you know, um, so even if I knew that I probably would be, uh, you know, asked to get married and then have no dreams of a job, the fact that my father allowed me to go and do this course was a very, very important resource for me. And I, I valued it a lot. Uh, so any small thing that comes my way also, I give it a lot of importance and I do my best, you know, in, in that. Um, and uh, I got a job when I was in NIIT itself. The marriage had still not happened. I told my father, I'll pick up this job. He said, okay, fine. But the day you get married and if the boy says, you know, you should not work, you will stop. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, so for me, I, I kind of took what is available now. Uh, instead of saying, oh, what is the point of getting into a job because I will anyway have to quit. And look at it. I kept at it for 25 years, right? I got married to someone who was okay with me working and then, you know, I kind of grew. Um, so that time the mission was, earn some money, that's it, a little bit of money. Um, but the second thing, as I said, whatever I do, I do it extremely passionately, very sincere, to be able to deliver some real value and impact. And that's the difference between me and many others who would probably you know, take assignment. Um, I'll give you an example of, uh, for those of you who worked and have gone through these appraisal cycles, um, and uh, we used to have this bell curve phenomena, right? That large majority would be fitted into uh, as expected performance. Um, so I was having a conversation with my manager and he had given me as expected. Uh, while I thought I had done really well. And I'm not a person who would sit and fight at the appraisal table. I should ideally have fought it much earlier. So I told him, see, okay, fine, this is what it is. But next year I want to you know, get a better score. So let's arrive at some goals, which will ensure that I stretch myself and it's visible to you and you then feel that, you know, give me a better rating. And he said, okay, I will just tweak some of the uh, KRAs that you have. So we used to have this staff engagement score, customer engagement score and all of that. So he said, uh, today I have given you, if you get an 8 out of 10, you will get uh, 3. If you get a 9 out of 10, you'll get outperformed. Uh, he just changed that. He said, I'll make 9 out of 10 as uh, 10 as on target. And 10 out of 10 is outperformed. I said, do you think this is going to change anything in my life? I will go and work and engage with my customers because my role demands. Even if you didn't put it in my KRA sheet, I would do it. This is not, you know, so that's what it is. I don't do it because somebody asked me. I do it because I feel it will get a value and there will be an impact. So that is what has kept me on for 25 years. That is how I have grown. And in whatever roles that I have taken on after that also, and the role that I am in today in the educational institution field, because I have wanted to create an impact. I'm not going to say that, you know, I don't want money, because we all need money. Uh, we feel good when the money comes in. Uh, but I also know how much money, right? So I have kind of balanced it to say, okay, money will come from some aspects and certain things, you know, uh, we kind of, you know, give it back to the society. Uh, but if it creates an impact, I will do it. That's, that's the mantra. Perfect. Yes, you've been such a natural winner all along your life. I think uh, <laughs> you've had it all. So I, as I said, I, I totally enjoyed this conversation with you. Okay.
and I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to be part of our journey that we have just begun. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Look forward to more interactions with you. Same here. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Accepting the ups and downs of life, learning the lessons that life threw at her, Neeraja has gathered lots of leadership skills that ensure strong relationship building and community services. The valuable values such as resilience, courage, empathy, vulnerability, people orientation, caring attitude, etc. help her spread the fragrance of goodness that goes a long way in helping the women of the country have a positive mindset become confident and go all out to reach their full potential join me in wishing neeraja loads of success in all her endeavors salutations to such inspirers in our lives thank you so much for listening in i look forward to receiving your comments on how you like this conversation and if you found it inspiring I'm also glad to receive any questions you would like me to ask our next guest. Do write to me at empress@bogia.online. Also, please do visit us at bogia.online/theimpressiveempress to get to know more of such leaders and how you can lead like the impressive empress.